Texas talking Oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking Oh, gonna hoop upside your head Texas talking Tell me who can you trust When Texas guys are And Texas guys love Texas talking This is Ross Ramsey here on the fourth Monday in October with this special University of Texas, Texas Tribune poll version of your TribCast. I'm joined today by pollsters Jim Henson, Josh Blank and Darren Shaw from the University of Texas will be taking questions via Facebook, so send them our way. Uh, we're talking about the University of Texas, Texas Tribune poll that was conducted in October. And, um, you know, we can start this anywhere. Let's just kind of start where we started. Mr. Trump did pretty well with Texas voters, with some Texas voters. I think you should start that, Dr. Shaw. What, my official Trump spokesperson now? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, we've... I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a dangerous job. That's obvious. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know that we see uh, a whole lot here that's, uh, A, different from what we've seen before, and uh, B, demonstrably different given uh, changing conditions or context. I mean, you know, you've had these major events, uh, both nationally and then particularly in Texas, you know, with the hurricanes. And uh, I think we were looking for uh, whether there would be, for lack of a better word, sort of a bump, uh, you know, that presidents often do a little better when they're, uh, they're kind of uh, acting as the, you know, comforter in chief, uh, providing solace, you know, seen passing out groceries or whatever. Right. Put on the ball uh, cap, put on the fishing shirt. Right, exactly. Right. Go down, show empathy. And, right. and you know, it's, Shooting it's, paper towels out into the crowd. Yeah, well, they <laughs> did, mercifully didn't do that in Rockport. But, um, uh, you know, it, it's it's kind of interesting. I was listening to a, a, another podcast, uh, John Dickerson on, uh, on Whistle Stop, and they were talking about when this role developed uh, mm -hmm. for presidents. And uh, the argument they advanced, which I think is probably credible, was that it was LBJ who first started doing this. And the, the contrast point was how Eisenhower, when you had these, uh, the, one of the biggest hurricane seasons on record was, I think, 56, massive hurricanes. And at the same time, uh, you know, you're getting this coverage on the first page, front page of the Washington Post and New York Times. They're also covering Eisenhower's vacation. Um, <laughs> extensively and with no no disconnect That'd and get no you killed now right? right no implications that Eisenhower's political team was advising him that it was a huge mistake not to be seen as being empathetic but um, but we didn't really see much of that and and part of that is and I think Josh has written extensively and and really incisively about this is that the the polarization of attitudes towards Trump occurred not not just very early nationally but it really occurred in Texas right yeah. so so I, I think what we saw I believe in the certainly by June, was that Republicans in Texas, however ambivalent they are, and there is a lot of ambivalence in some of the numbers here, ambivalence right. in some of the numbers, but generally speaking, they're on board with Trump, and of course Democrats are clearly not on board, and so that lends a stability to these numbers, even though, as you said, Republicans have some misgivings, and um, events do matter, but man, the core numbers look... Yeah, and I think the thing that's really interesting here is, you know, you expect... You expect the you know the affect of negative polarization, so these really negative attitudes, to be there for Democrats. And we saw this with Republicans towards Obama, and how much of that is you know policy driven or partisan is kind of you know it's an open question. But what I think was really interesting about this poll in particular is that we look at his job approval numbers from the last poll in February, and we look at them now, and they're basically unchanged. And that includes about eighty you know just under eighty percent of Republicans expressing approval of the job performance right. that he's doing. But what's interesting is that you know I mean for people like us who watch this stuff, there's so much has happened between February and now. We could, you know, fill up the rest of the week of podcasts and right, not about take five a break. Years of stuff, yeah, right? just yeah. talking about what's happened. We selected maybe 13 or so items 
from various events to sort of select, and they range, right? It was sort of how Trump's handling border security, how he handled the hurricanes, how he's handled protests by athletes, and so on and so forth. So a real broad range of issues. And the interesting thing is, is that Republicans under, you know, basically a majority of Republicans in each case approved of the job he was doing in Texas. And what, sort of what that means to me, at least, is that, you know, it's easy to look at the overall approval numbers and say, well, this is, you know, partisan polarization, you know, Democrats hate him, Republicans like him. Of course they do, because that's what partisanship does. But actually, you know, I would say you kind of look at the issue areas and you say, yeah, there are Republicans who have misgivings about the way he's handling these things. But when you actually look at the substance of what's been going on and the major issues that people should be reacting to, they're expressing approval, which I think is important for Democrats to understand, because I think a lot of Democrats are sitting here waiting for the other shoe to drop. They think, you know, there's this drip, drip, drip every day of what happens next or what they mishandle and are expecting right. at some point, well, Republicans are surely going to turn on him. Well, Democrats seem to have this this um, thought process that, you know, the Republicans will wake up and realize what they've done wrong and come around to it, <laughs> which never really happens. Never really happens. But I think further than that, that's not just partisanship that's driving that in some cases. I think in a lot of cases, there's actually strong approval of the way that he's handling right. a range of these issues. Right. I mean, I was talking to somebody earlier today about this, and I think one of the things people forget is that a lot of the things that Trump are are most reliably positive for Trump with Republicans were driving Republican attitudes in Texas long before Donald Trump rode down the escalator. Right. So I think some of these things come up and maybe there's a little bit of a of a glitch and you know, a little glimmer in the force in terms of his approval. But all he has to do is really go back to some of those issues, some of the cultural issues in particular and above all immigration. Yeah, to jump ahead to tomorrow, yeah. it jumps ahead in the poll a little bit, but the most important problem uh, Texans list for issues f facing uh, Texas, border security, immigration, it's been that way for as long as we've been doing this, I and think. And what's number three? Harvey, right? So basically, Oh, yeah, that hurricane. Yeah, the hurricane. And, and, that's, and again, I, I've only glanced at the tabs, but that's driven largely by Republican attitudes. Right. And they, ch you know, he's very good at channeling those attitudes. We should say... Donald Trump did get a little bit of a bump from the hurricane, and that was his increase in the approval number among Democrats. Mm -hmm. yeah. So if you look at the grid by party among all those right. 13 issues, you know, I mean, it's— It, it was only 20 it, or 25 percent, but it was, it, yeah, it was I mean, higher it, than everything yeah. else. Yeah, all, all the Democratic numbers on those issues look like his overall job approval, which is 4 percent among Democrats. Right. So you go 4, 4, 4, and it was 20 among yeah. um among Democrats. Now, you know, yeah. some people grain on a curve. You could say he's doing well. Right. Well, I, I do think, though, if you look across this range, and, and Josh and Jim deserve a tremendous amount of credit, I think, for kind of plumbing all these different things that Trump has been involved with lately. And there is a substantial amount of variance. Um, and, and the one that we, we talked a lot about was uh, discriminating between hurricane, uh, the performance of the president with respect to the hurricanes mm -hmm. in, in Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands versus right. you know, the United States. And we really wanted to get at that because if, if polarization is completely dominant, then everybody right. sees everything through. And in fact, you know, you get 56% approval of his handling of the hurricanes in Texas, Louisiana, Florida, uh, and you end up with, you know, was it 43% yeah. approval of you know, Puerto Rico and Virgin Islands. So, so you know, we, we walk this line as pollsters where we're, we're, you can't possibly look at the numbers and not see this, this massive partisan effect. Right. But we, we do want to emphasize to people watching this stuff casually that, that it is true that, you know, performance does matter. But as Jim and Josh were pointing out, I think there's a – unless – Trump botches something like a, a Texas hurricane, you know, something on, you know, the, the same way I think that Bush was charged or viewed of 
botching Hurricane Katrina. Right. right. That competence number can bottom out. Right. That that is not bulletproof. It's not that Republicans, you know, in 2005 were insensitive to handling. So that can happen. But I think the point they're making, which is right, is that's not what we're talking. It's not like mm-hmm. the economy has cratered or yeah. issue performance has cratered in a way right. that the base would actually go, well, wait a sec, this, you know, not only, I'm, now I think this guy is not competent. And, and but they are with him on some of these other issues. And when we look at the trade, so we did ask a range of trade questions. I mean, what's kind of interesting there is that, you know, when you look at Republican attitudes, the one area in which he sort of looked a little weak was just on temperament, where there's a quarter of Republicans who said they didn't think that he had the, the right temperament to serve effectively as president. But it dropped for all the other traits we asked in terms of those who said they, he didn't have this quality. So for honesty and trustworthiness, it was only 19 percent of Republicans. For competence, it was 14 percent. For you know, caring about people like you is 15 percent and so on. They all stayed kind of low after that, which to right. me, I look at this and say, yeah, I mean, the more, though I mean, maybe the those most important the, thing. Those are all the negatives. Right, those are all the negatives, right. Yeah, so right. the most important one, though, is, is he a strong leader? 82% of Republicans in Texas say yes, only 15% say no. And so when you put all these together, at least for me, I sort of look and say, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, a small set of Republicans who are basically saying, well, you might not have the temperament, but otherwise, right. it's fine. Yeah. Right. You know, and I think that that would, that's a pretty actually Sometimes being nuanced, a strong leader means being kind of hot-headed. Yeah, and I mean— Impulsive, it, maybe, a little. Right, but, I mean, you can put it all together and say, a you know, this, this is a— A tweeter. Yeah, exactly. But this is a sensible, you know, set right. of expectations at this point. That it's just his temperament. So there's the nothing problem. in the Trump numbers that makes any of you look up and say, watch out. I mean, he looks to be in same, kind of the same position he was in more or less when he took office. You know, it's just crazy. I mean, it's like everybody has been saying, you say that and I want to go, yeah, that's right. And there's this little part of me that still says, can this really last? It's kind of this thing Josh was talking about that you just, you keep waiting for another shoe to drop. And I think, you know, we've talked about this. There's nothing in the numbers that points to that. Yeah, he seems fine. And and Darren's right. Something could happen. And because he is mercurial, shall we say, I think, in his governing style, you kind of do kind of feel like, well, yeah, it's great so far, but it just seems like there, something could happen. I think, you know, the obvious— I wouldn't bet, I wouldn't bet yeah. a campaign on it. But. Yeah, the obvious thing—oh, well, there's, there's two things. I mean, I, I do think that, that performance does matter. And so you, you talk about, uh, you know, an objectively poor handling of something like the economy where the right. numbers crater um, or, you know, a natural disaster or something like that. But I, I do think that the Russia thing is the sort of Damocles yeah. that hangs over this— this administration that yes the uh, even now the honest and trustworthy numbers are, are low and it's not like republicans think this guy well, and is that was pristine, a weak spot among the issues how's he handled this and that yeah well, and right. I, th- I think that's the one where you look at it and it, it combines a couple of these elements right which is this sort of well i'm you know i think the the trump supporters clearly don't trust the media they don't trust reports <laughs> yeah. on these things and yeah. so you're going to need more than the new york times saying right. uh, we don't like the way he's handling this you're going to have to have an independent investigation that concludes something else is going on right. and and so that the you know the the immediate downplaying or discrediting of the source isn't as much of an issue. And I think that's a good point, and it's hidden in the numbers, because I think you made this point that at one point is where you're looking at this, because you look at that number on Russia among Republicans, and he's still 59 approved, 14, you know, don't, but there's a lot more don't knows in there. And so I think that's one of the places you have to look, is that among Republicans, it's not that they're turning on him. Those soft areas are where people are in the in the uncommitted category when you ask them about it. I guess yeah, two, two things here. One uh, let me, uh, program note, reminder, you can shoot us questions on Facebook if you'd like. Um, 
Is there a difference here? Uh, we noticed a difference between different kinds of Republicans in a lot of these things. Um, do the Tea Party Republicans remain solid here, and are they shoring up some weakness among regular Republicans, or is that just in other parts of the poll? No, that's in this part of the poll, too. I mean, in general, Tea Party Republicans or the Republicans who choose to identify with the Tea Party over the Republican Party in a separate question elsewhere in the poll uh, tend to sort of take more conservative attitudes across the policy areas, but they also have really fallen behind Trump in a in a stronger way than sort of the non-Tea Party Republicans. That's not surprising in a yeah, lot of ways. Yeah. And, and not not by, you know, 50, what, 15 points, 13 points. So not a ton, but noticeable. Yeah. Okay. okay. We have a question from Katie on Twitter about the bathroom bill and the 40% of Democrats who say it's important. How is the question phrased? Were the 40% of Democrats people who said it's important actually conveying that it's important the bill's not passed? Yeah, can I? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to take Somebody. that. Katie, that's a great question, and it's something that I actually noticed just recently as I was looking through the numbers. The question is um, is yeah. phrased just asking, how do you think it's important? Yeah. How, how important you think it is for the legislature to act, not what direction they should act in? And so I think we saw... A couple of interesting dynamics here over, you know, we've now asked this question three times and basically the same in February, June, and in, in October, in October, this last one. Right. And what we saw was some movement from February to June and then some rolling back, um, you know, in, in the latest poll. But the interesting thing is, and I don't know if you had noticed, I don't know if we had talked about this, you're right to notice it actually, the importance among Democrats actually ticked up this mm -hmm. time. But I think you're probably onto something. That doesn't mean that they want, that Democrats want the kind of bathroom bill that's been offered. I think there are some Democrats that are thinking, yeah, the legislature, legislature should do something and it should be protections, don't you think? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, you've, you've pointed up, I'm, first of all, great question, because you've actually pointed out something that is, I mean, even pro I'll just admit openly, is problematic with this item, which is that you could look at this and say that important could mean one of two things. It could mean it's important that we regulate transgender bathroom access in the way that the legislature has attempted but failed to do so. It could also mean that we should regulate transgender bathroom access in the way that, you know, San Antonio had done or Houston or, you know, in right. terms of having sort of right. equal rights ordinances. And this actually speaks to what makes this sort of such a complicated area to pull in a lot of ways and points to why we chose to do it this way. Previously, we had asked questions about, you know, sort of what restrooms you think uh, transgender individuals should use, you know, should they use the bathroom of their, uh, you know, birth gender or the gender they identify with. Right. And part of the thing about that is that's a good, interesting question, but there's two things that kind of became apparent with that. Number one, it's such a new issue. I mean, we've been talking about here, it feels like now, like ad nauseum, you know, for months and months and months. But if you look at it sort of- We're on about the, 17 or 18 months in. Into this right. issue, and for an issue that a lot of people are still sort of forming their opinions on, first of all. Second of all, saying that what bathroom people should or should not use is not saying whether or not the legislature should pass a law setting this in stone, and then also further, should it be for just public buildings, as they've talked about? Should it be for public and also private buildings? What about this issue of safety? Needless to say, it's a very tough question to pull on, which is why we've sort of reverted to using this, which is just to say, it's really kind of a salience check. Is this important to you? Doesn't matter. Well, and you guys noticed, you guys both, uh, I think all three of you mentioned that the importance of this issue depends on how much who is talking about it. And that's absolutely right. Yeah, I, I, look, there's, a generalized theory about public opinion that, that holds that uh, masses basically take their cues from elites. And uh, some political scientists hold this with, you know, greater certainty than others. Uh, <laughs> Nicely done. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I'd had arguments with the uh, 
one of my mentors at uh, at UCLA when I was in grad school. He he basically challenged me to identify one issue where uh, public opinion had sort of emerged organically in the absence of any kind of elite dissensus. And I was a child of the '80s, so I, I mentioned um, you know South Africa and divestment. Um, and he sort of conceded that, yeah, well, maybe. Um, but, but I mean, this, this. I think you just got that in anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but this is that, that kind That's of issue where, where I think people, both politicians um, as well as, um, you know, activists, I think, have, have sort of planted a flag on this issue and said, okay, we're, you know, this is, this is going to be symbolic. This is going to be important. And the public responds. And what you saw in Texas, and this is why salience here is what we're interested in measuring is the extent to which, you know, people kind of pay attention to that elite debate. But uh, this is just basically one poll where we took the issue, the um, sort of pro or con aspect of it out because, you know, it, well, one is limited real estate on the poll. And secondly, right. it's not exactly clear what the ledge is going to end up doing. Yeah. Up doing. And, and, right. And, right. And part of it, it's about trade-offs. It's about how much time was spent on this issue versus other issues. I mean, that's kind of the idea here is to say, you know, you can have an attitude on this issue or not, but the question is, is this more important than talking about property tax reform or, you know, local annexation or whatever, pick your pick your issue. Right. And to speak to sort of the, you know, the variability in this, what's interesting is when we when we pulled this question originally in February, you know, we know that this is being driven by the most conservative voters in the state in terms of the people who really want to see a restrictive law. But even their attitudes are kind of all over the map. So when we ask the question in this way, when we look at Tea Party Republicans, in the first poll in February, it was about, I think, around 40 percent, give or take, basically. Said it was important. important. Yeah, 40 odds. When we looked again in June, when it had been talked about basically throughout the session, it went up to 70 percent. Right. Now that we've sort of had a couple months off and a cooling off period in the summer and people have, you know, whatever, gone to Schlitterbahn, et cetera, right, now it's back down to 52 percent. And what that says to me, at least, is that, you know, in terms of this sort of, I mean, one, I think it shows you that in terms of the, the volume goes up among elites, we see it get reflected in the numbers. Right. But as the volume got at least turned down or, you know, let's just say they changed the channel, right? right? Now we see the numbers dropping again, which shows this is not a sort of a bottom up issue in a lot of ways. This yeah. really is dependent on people talking about it. And I, and I think in a, in a you know, a, a more basic answer to that question is I think the increase or a more specific, that increase in Democratic salience. And so from June, it went from, you know, among Democrats, 35 important, 53 not important, and then it went to 40, 52. Right. That's evidence that there was, in fact, a counter-mobilization among Democrats, yeah. and we certainly and saw that. that. And that right. change in terms of the margin of error of the subgroup is right. It's is, pretty big. Is almost well. well the margin big. of error is pretty big. Yeah, the margin of error is about almost four point. We just did this like four point, you know, four five. So it's just outside the margin of error, the difference. Right. So it probably did go up, but probably, you know, we just, might just, just a, a tiny s- bit. Yeah. yeah, just a skosh. Uh, so the takeaway from that is skosh is actually the, yeah. That's the technical the, term. The takeaway from that skosh is that Schlitter bonnet full of tea party right now. Yeah, I've never heard of a cooling off period in the summer in Austin, but I like that. Yeah, kind of. It's kind of great. Um, so uh, let's move to another issue that got a lot of attention: um, Confederate monuments and what people want to do with them. You guys asked a four-parter on this, um, kind of a you know. Green eggs and ham question. Would you like them on a plane? Would you like them on a boat? Would you like them with a goat? Uh, <laughs> jump just, right in. I'm thinking about Dr. Seuss drawing a Confederate monument. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, that was unfair. Well, well, we drew Nazis, was, but not Confederates. Yeah, so. this was intentional. So um, the the previous uh, question that we were responding to, you know, it was interesting. We, we sort of just went with salience. Well, th- this kind of reflects, you know, how schizophrenic we are sometimes. Since this was in the news a lot and this right. did get a lot of attention, um, we did what we tend to do when we encounter these sorts of things, which is to, to try to give people an opportunity to express more 
nuanced opinion, or at least see if it's there. Right. And and so in this sense, and I can say this because this wasn't my question, um, <laughs> but I, I really like this question, uh, the response options, I mean, in particular. So we asked, you know, should they be removed from public view entirely, which I guess you'd argue is kind of the, you know, kind of the extreme position on one end. And that draws 8%. 30% say they should be moved to a museum or other site where they can be presented in historical context. I guess that's sort of the moderate anti Right. position, right? Right. Um, and then uh, should remain where they are with historical context, 22%. They should remain where they are unchanged, 34%. And, and so I, I like I like that you can, if you want, kind of lump the, uh, you know, leave and be uh, responses and you get about 56%. Uh, but there's some gradations there, right? Yeah, right. You know, the, the maybe maybe we ought to have a little tag saying, uh, you know, exactly what Stonewall Jackson. Yeah, maybe we ought to edit <laughs> yeah. this plaque over here, right? Yeah. Uh, um, and then you get 38% who, you know, want them gone. Uh, and only only a relatively small portion of that says, you know, I don't only want them gone, I want them in the scrap heap, basically. Right, right, melt um, them down. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think, you know, given the way that the, the rhetoric around this is really ramped up, I thought it was pretty interesting that, A, that, that they should be removed from public view number is so low at only 8%. I mean, right. I think that mm-hmm. kind of says something about, you know, exaggerations in some of the response to this. And I think, you know, I mean, the, what's interesting to me about this among a number of things, we can talk about the breakdowns. I mean, there were clear partisan and racial breakdowns here that we should at least mention. But, you know, it kind of goes back to the conversation you and I had, Ross, or you and Josh and I had about how to present this and how to think about it. And I think, you know, honest people can disagree whether you want to lump it as one and two, that is, they should remove or, you know, should you move them or should you leave them? And then what you should you do? Right. I think, you know, it's it's, to me, I've been parsing and maybe it's because I'm all wet here, but it seems to me there's really three categories. There's the kind of remove them, which means we just don't, you know, we just really want to do away with this. Right. And then there's the two medium, the two middle categories, which are, you know, Put, give them historical context, whether you move them or you leave them. The key thing is historical context here. Right. 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 And then there's the one that is, you know, we want to leave them. We don't want to modify the history. And so you're looking at kind of three categories here. And I think there's something to the fact, and Darren kind of, you know, said this a different way, that, you know, the you know, the biggest hunk of public opinion, if you, take, if you group them that way, more than half people just want the history updated. But if you're a Republican elected statewide official and you look at this poll and you look at the crosstab on Republicans, your inclination is going to be to leave the statues completely alone, isn't it? Probably, because 55 percent of Republicans and 41 percent of Anglos want to leave them as are, as they are. Right. Right. Although, you know, you're asking people to state a preference from amongst four options. And what you don't know is the extent to which, yeah, that's the majority position amongst Republicans. But... Uh, it strikes me that there's probably quite a few Republicans who would be fine with option three. That is, edit the thing, but edit it. You know, put a new plaque on. Don't rip it down. You know, don't Saddam Hussein it. But, do some um, of that modern American museum stuff and put more signs around it with the stories and the context. Right. And all that. Exactly. So, um, but yeah, I, I think your general point, Rosso, about you know this is a kind of a flashpoint issue and Republicans I, I think Republic a lot of Republicans see this through the prism, rightly or wrongly, as political correctness. Um, and I think that's why you get this strong racial divide right. in attitudes too. Um, y- you know, this this it comes under the heading of um, you know, not change everything, you know, rewrite history and, and I think there's sort of a reflexive objection to that amongst conservatives. Um, although, you know, look as as Josh has sort of suggested, 
Um, my guess is that this thing is not, the way we framed it, it not only shows kind of gradations of opinion, but I'll bet it, it would be dependent on what, which Confederate we're talking about. Right, um, right. You know, you got some obvious and, you know, unrepentant and blatantly racist Nathan Bedford Forrest or something like that. Right. Uh, I think there'd be different attitudes than, you know, someone who's, you know, like someone like Robert E. Lee, or where right. we're not exactly sure, um, you know, where he was on some of these issues. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's that's kind of been one of our mantras in the poll, which is to kind of plumb gradations and gray shades of gray in these sorts of attitudes. And, yeah. you know, I, I think they're there. Yep. Yeah. In other, as you go through the rest of the poll, we're uh, just a few minutes here. As you go through the rest of the poll, did anything in here surprise you? Um, is a question Leslie was was asking, and I like this question from Linda because it sort of gets to um, one of your favorite things about polling. Why does somebody Texan in Amarillo think of? Uh, why does some what some Texan in Amarillo thinks about Harvey flooding matter? And this kind of goes to you know what what's the sample and who are you asking and why are you asking? Um, you know we asked a bunch of Harvey questions. People were. I can answer that question pretty easily. Yeah, John. And that's not about sampling, though. I mean, that's just about political will. I mean, the fact is you've already seen four Republicans in Congress vote no on the first sort of tranche of Harvey relief funding, and they were including, all— Including one from Amarillo. <laughs> yeah, and they were, but they were all from sort of north-central Texas, pretty as, almost as far away from the flooding as you could be in some right. cases, right? Right. And the political geography of that matters. And when you think about it right now, you know, you've got a bunch of agencies that are probably running, you know, ridiculous overtime budgets that are going to have to be made whole. Maybe the federal government's going to do that. Maybe they're not. But in the grand scheme of things, actually, it does matter what, you know, let's say a subset of people in Amarillo or around Midland or around Dallas feel about what the state's responsibilities are to Harvey, because when they come back from the next legislative session, you know, it's going to matter how those guys vote. Yeah. So, I mean. Yeah, yeah. I'd also point out that this was a this was a tricky poll to do precisely because we were originally going to go into the field uh, the weekend that Harvey hit. And yeah, so we were we were on the phone, basically. Right. Right. So for, for everybody out there who's an amateur methodologist and or professional methodologist, for that matter, um, you know, it, it was difficult to figure out how long we should wait, and we work kind of closely with the people that we do the poll with about, uh, you know, at, exactly at what point is it appropriate to approach the, the right. Houston and, and the Beaumont and the Corpus Strata and, and you know, knock on, the, we knock on the door, but, you know, kind of metaphorically so knock on the door and say, uh, hey, uh, we'd like to ask you questions about this, you know, <laughs> while they're revving up their chainsaws, removing, you know, uh, trees from their homes, you know. Right. Um, so did you have a surprise? Anything anything stick out? Actually, we've already talked about some of the things that I, I found somewhat surprising. Um, you know, I, I continue to be sort of intrigued and, in, you know, this is a red state and I, I continue to find it interesting how easily the the Tea Party contingent and people who identify themselves as very conservative have rallied around Trump. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's I think going forward, and I'll get out and let Josh and Jim talk about this, but I, I just like the, you know, the, uh, the Tea Party and sort of reform movement has been so easily folded within the Republican Party in the last five or six years. You know, it's just, it, they, right. they run candidates in the primaries, and I think one of the more interesting questions looking forward is the extent to which Democratic objections, sort of the the Bernie Sanders supporters, and and the discontent within the Democratic Party, finds a home in the Democratic Party. It's, it's right. I th I think they will if I had to bet on it, but it's not entirely clear to me that that movement is going to be quite as neatly folded in the existing party structure. Okay. Hmm. 
Uh, you know, I think it was interesting. We asked about the deferred action for childhood arrivals, uh, so the DACA program that Trump just ended and basically kicked to Congress to continue, so that's right. sort of an ongoing story. And we basically, we described the program and we asked whether it should be continued or end. And we've already kind of hinted at the fact that, you know, in Texas, immigration and border security sort of rank as issue one and two, or if you want to combine them, issue one by far, uh, and especially amongst Texas Republicans. And we've done a lot of polling on immigration attitudes, and generally, you just assume that you're going to see support for the more sort of punitive attitude, and especially among Texas Republicans. But when it com came to DACA, you know, 59% of Texans said we should continue the program. Only 30% said we should end it. You know, the Republican attitudes were more split. I mean, obviously, Democrats are overwhelmingly in favor of continuing it. But for Republicans of all stripes, it was 39 said continue, 48 said end. But this is where that dichotomy comes in again. So among non-Tea Party Republicans, 48% right. said continue, 41% said end. Among Tea Party Republicans, 24% said continue, 69% said end. Hmm. And this really so one's is... one's balanced, one's way against. Yeah, and I think this is a sort of thing, it's a sort of issue that, I mean, this item in and of itself is interesting in that it goes out in a bunch of different ways that make it interesting. I think, for one, it speaks to, you know, sort of the the difficulty that Republicans in Congress are going to have, because even though Texas is one state, you know, Republicans elsewhere are facing similar dynamics, where you've sort of got the committed right wing right. who has very clear attitudes that are contrary to basically every else. And so that's that's tricky, right, how you deal with that. But also I think what's really interesting is, you know, we also asked a bunch of other immigration questions in this poll, and we saw the patterns we're used to seeing. So there's no ambivalence about requiring law enforcement to cooperate with immigrations right. and customs enforcement. Republicans of all stripe, about 89% right. say, yeah, do it. Right. When we ask about immediate deportation of undocumented immigrants in a general sense before we talked about DACA, you know, we have 64% of Republicans agreeing that we should immediately deport undocumented immigrants in the country, and there's not really, you know, a huge difference amongst non-Tea Party and Tea Party Republicans. Right. So with this, so you know, so on the one hand, you know, this sort of stands apart from it, but it also speaks to the complexity of the issue, which is, are you talking about criminals or are you talking about kids? And if you're talking about kids, it's a lot lumpier terrain for Republicans well, and the, to walk across. The DACA question in describing the program also set it up, said if they have done this and done right. this and done this and they were all sort of meritorious things. Right. And they're sort of set up not they're criminals kids, and they're contributing. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, okay. I, I think that's really interesting. We could talk about that more. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that there's a, any, you know, there were a couple things that surprised me initially and grabbed my attention. And then as we talked through it, it kind of made sense. One, very quickly, is you know, we did the, we haven't talked about the Harvey battery very much. We did this battery of, you know, what should government right. respond to immediately oh, yeah. on Harvey. And when you first looked at those responses, education was an also ran. Right. People emphasized the things, that, and this is where I kind of thought, okay, well, okay, that makes sense once you thought about it. I mean, they emphasized the immediate things, uh, debris removal. Public health. Public health. Housing, well, housing. housing. Right. Right. But it, but it does strike me that as we move forward and given what we've heard in the pause inside the process, that there is going to be a lot of work to be done in terms of public education, both in terms of just the facilities, physical plan, physical plan of these schools. Right. You know, I think they're, you know, there's still it's still a little unclear what the degree of location is. So it makes sense. But I think it's something that I think policymakers ought to be aware of and flag that they're going to have to really make the case as we move forward on education particularly if, as the front page story in the New York Times said today is right, FEMA response and reconstruction has, right. is, you know, a little bit on the rocks because they're over, whether they're lame or overloaded is up to you, is a matter of some 
the speed. We had a number in those in that same battery that uh, 52% said they weren't sure about how insurance companies had responded to this. They didn't have a yeah. positive or an unpositive, and that's one that I sort of marked and said, let's ask again in four or six yeah, months. Yeah, yeah. See how I, that's I, going. And I, and I think that's right. And I, and I think we're going to have to go back and ask about these government response questions again, right. frankly, if we have room. And then one other quick thing is on. We asked a question where we gave people, we rotated two statements and gave them the choice of, you know, what you know, what do you prefer, the current health insurance system in the United States or a universal health insurance program? Right. You know, this kind of comes as we're seeing, obviously, the discussion of the ACA. Um, some members of the of the, the Democratic Party, particularly in the Senate, pushing some kind of a universal health insurance company, uh, uh, a health insurance program. Uh, you know, we found. Very split with a with a five point major with a five point margin in favor of universal health care. Right now, you know you can explain that by again, it's very polarized by party. Seventy four percent of Democrats want universal health care. Sixty three percent of of Republicans want the current system. But I think it does kind of bring out that we're reaching this crisis point in the discussion of the Affordable Care Act where the rubber is kind of meeting the road. I mean, right. for years now we've been hearing we've got to repeal the ACA and replace it with something else. The lack of a replacement or the, and we know that most Republicans do want to repeal Obamacare from, from subsequent questions, but want a replacement. When I first saw that, I mean, it's, it's a little surprising to see a universal health care option, even if it's closely divided, being the, the, the modal response, then you're kind of nodding there, and I'm, I'm dying yeah, to know I, what I you think, think. I think people are confused about this, and I think this question reflects that. I mean, I, I think people continue, and this is not a shot at the public, but they continue to, to confuse insurance versus care. Mm -hmm. um, right. And I, I think, you know, the, the notion that we ought to have universal health care, well, you know, A, we do. Um, yeah. Right. The, the, right. You know, no, no one is going to show up at the emergency room and, you know, going to be denied, but uh, but the question of insurance, I, I mean, I'm with you. I think what's happened is that um, what a lot of smart people predicted a few years ago which is when you extend these sort of entitlements to a larger portion of the public and when you do things that are popular, like, you know, um, uh, you can't, you know. No pre-existing no pre conditions, conditions coverage until you're 25. Sort of thing, right, right, yeah. that, right. That, that stuff, you know, that stuff is is popular. People like and, it. And, and then the Republicans have said repeal, and but when they actually go about repealing and taking away something, a benefit's been extended, you know, it's it's the old rule of politics that actually seems to be manifest here. You, you can't do that without paying a very serious political price, and I, I doubt a lot of them are going to be willing to pay that price. It's hard, so to pull the, hard to pull the chicken back out of the pot. That's what it looks yeah. like so far. Yeah. Great. Um, well, thanks for all the time. Um, we've got some more poll results up tomorrow. Uh, we'll put the cross tabs up, and all the all this will be out there, and uh, you can ping these guys as you want. That's all the time we have here. Our regular TribCast is coming up at lunchtime on Wednesday. If you like listening <clears throat> to the TribCast every week, please do us a favor and leave us a review on iTunes. Those ratings help us reach more listeners like you. And if you value the Tribune's nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom, please consider making a donation at support.texastribune.org. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music. On behalf of Jim, Darren, Josh, and our producers, Todd and Bobby, this is Ross. Thanks for listening. And good socks, Bobby. Tea party, tea party, one, two, check, tea party. Science of elections. I'm Josh Blank.